I think in terms of the energy transition, that there's lots of change which is going on. And here models can play a big role where I think looking at the past and saying 2030 is going to look like 2018 with a different gas price is probably not the right approach to take. And I think also the fact that there's a huge amount of investment is going on. I think you want to be able to making those decisions with the best information possible and doing it as informed as possible. And, and models are cheap compared to building an offshore wind farm, that's for sure. And electricity markets are complex. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I'm Mateusz Ronski, the head of digital solutions at Aurora. I'm very excited about today's show, and that's because we will get to talk about a pretty unique subject. Unlike many topics that we typically cover here, this one rarely grabs the headlines, at least uh, on its own. And yet it is a topic that underpins most of the major predictions, most of the major decisions in today's world from uh, understanding the spread of disease like COVID to formulating monetary policy to making multi-billion dollar uh, investment decisions in offshore wind, for example. As you might have already uh, figured out, as you might have guessed, the topic today is modeling and models. Modeling of the energy market, uh, which is at the heart of what we do here at Aurora, but also modeling more broadly. And our guest on today's show is quite uh, uniquely positioned to discuss this topic with us. He's the head of modeling at Aurora, setting the vision and strategy for our market models and and their development. He manages and uh, mentors the international team of almost 30 modelers. But also aside from modeling markets, modeling energy markets, he has an extensive experience in modeling various physical systems Uh, uh, coming from his time as a research scientist at the National Physical Laboratory and earlier uh, his time uh, doing his PhD in applied mathematics. Our guest today is Jonathan Black. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matthias. Johnny, so uh, let me maybe start from asking you briefly about uh, your background. So from our various conversations, uh, I know you have a pretty unique perspective on models, and like I hinted in the introduction, I think uh, it's fair to say that a lot of it has been shaped by your quite varied experience uh, uh, in in modeling. Could you tell us a little bit more about suppose, how um, you started uh, your your experience with modeling and and how it's led you to where you are today? Yeah, sure, sure, Matthias. Yeah, so I suppose in terms of probably think about started in terms of my kind of uh, PhD, which I did at Oxford in in, in applied maths. Um, and there I was kind of modeling, as you say, physical systems, it actually still energy related, looking at kind of modeling of current flow in, in, in solar cells. Um, and then I suppose in terms of moving on from my, my, my PhD, I think I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I also learned a lot uh, during my time there, probably doesn't surprise you. There's 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 kind of quite quite a few smart people in the Oxford Maths Department who are good good to learn off. Um, but I think I wanted um, 
kind of more 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 kind of impact in terms of the work that I did and and probably higher paced as well. So I think one of the things which uh, can be a problem with, with ac academia is is you're kind of sometimes very much focused on publishing papers, uh, and then I suppose in some ways you you kind of put a lot of hard work and effort into doing that, uh, kind of release it into the world, and then in some ways kind of hope someday that somebody might read it and it might have impact. Um, which, which I suppose is not something that, that really motivates me. Um, and I suppose that kind of took me on to the kind of National Physical uh, Laboratory. I was in the modeling uh, department there. So again, lots of interesting work happens there, but it was probably a bit a bit too much like academia, I suppose, for, for my liking. And I suppose one thing mm. that I did do at um, NPL uh, that, that kind of in some ways brought me to Aurora was a kind of a, a, a project on a kind of optimization in, in kind of electricity grids. And I think there I saw kind of the kind of the skills that, that I had could, could could play a big role in 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 the energy transition. Uh, and there's, there's kind of lots of interesting problems and lots of impactful problems that that could, that could tackle. And in some ways that that brought me to Aurora. And I suppose when I joined Aurora a number of years ago go now uh, it was still very much um, a, a startup so kind of 20 to 30 people kind of growing very rapidly and I definitely got that kind of high paced uh, high impact work that I wanted um, challenging at times but 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 also good fun yeah pace is certainly something that was not uh, lacking in the early days uh, but also also uh, impact but we'll come back to this we'll come back to uh, talking about modeling at Aurora. But before that, let me maybe just uh, zoom out. Like I said, I'd really like to um, uh, use the fact that you have this uh, varied um, perspective and uh, and ask you about models in general. So maybe starting almost philosophically, what is a model and and why do you think, why do we, why do we need models? Yeah, I suppose in terms of a, a model often is, is kind of a simulation of reality so it can be in kind of just just kind of formulas uh, equations or kind of computer computer simulations where you're trying to capture the kind of key aspects of, of reality where often it's not possible to, to kind of capture every single aspect so I think uh, an example that uh, you're often introduced to when you when you first do some some mathematical modeling at, at university is is kind of an example of a pendulum so you've got like a string with with, with a mass on mass on the end and that's kind of oscillating uh, and there you can model that system just with just with Newton's second law, so force equals mass times acceleration. Uh, and in some certain cases, you can solve that by hand, but but also solve it kind of with with computer simulations. And I think there is kind of an example where you've kind of captured the key relationship, boiled it down to one equation, which then helps you to kind of model uh, and, and understand and kind of simulate this this environment. So something which maybe is less important if you're modeling a pendulum would maybe air resistance. It, it probably plays some sort of role in how a pendulum oscillates, but it but it's not important uh, enough to include in including this model. Even even in such a relatively simple system, you still you still can can make a informed choice as to what to include what not to include you still there's still some art not just science in a way yeah 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 definitely and, and i think um i think once you once you I suppose, get out of the kind of academic arena it, it kind of you can't really solve many models but models by hand and you need kind of to use the kind of computational power of com computers to kind of solve these 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 complex models uh, and do the simulations uh, th that we do and i suppose that's definitely true for i suppose power markets which are which are very complex mm. uh, one of the things that i suppose is uh 
maybe not confusing, but uh, I think what's, uh, we could benefit from uh, a bit of clarification here is uh, statistics versus fundamentals. So I think you, what you describe here, pendulum, is definitely something where the relationship is known in a way a priori. How does this compare to models that we often hear about, especially today, the machine learning models, this, the, 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 the statistical models? What's, what's the kind of difference at a, at a high level? Um, yeah, so I suppose I think statistical models are much more, much more data-driven. Well, they are data-driven. So maybe a, a kind of a, a simple example of a statistical model is maybe you're looking at kind of modeling earnings uh, of different people, and maybe you have a data set, and they've got different characteristics of these people's so age, maybe education, what field they work in, uh, and what location uh, they have, and maybe you'd have some some kind of prior about how kind of age relates to earnings maybe it's kind of steeply increases when you're younger and then plateaus a bit when you're when when you're older and then you kind of derive this from the from the data and also use the data data to kind of parameterize uh, your your model with i suppose machine learning uh, models also very much kind of data driven often need need higher kind of quantities of data and there it's kind of often a bit more experimental uh, in nature rather than that rather than statistical classical statistical um, uh, models. So maybe you'd have some key features uh, like age, education, and, and so on for this example, but you wouldn't necessarily have any priors uh, ab about how they relate to each other. And in some ways you would you would determine that for experiments. Uh, and these machine learning models can become can very good at kind of predicting outcomes, but kind of sometimes less good for kind of building building understanding. And you can see how that's different to, to the pendulum example there. So there's no there's no data that's gone into that model. It's just come from, I suppose, a core kind of law of physics. Hmm. So I think you already hinted on, on my next question, which is uh, why why do we use models? You mentioned that uh, the more black boxy machine learning models can be tricky for building the understanding. Uh, so Building understanding obviously is one thing that we use the models for. What, what else? What else are they useful for? Yeah, so in terms of modeling, making spit into a couple of a couple of categories. So one is kind of the pure kind of forecasting aspect, and I suppose uh, often a, a good example of that is in terms of I suppose stock market trading. Uh, if you're I suppose you're buying and, and selling shares, you just kind of want to know if the the price is going to go up or down. You don't really care how your model gets there, as long as it's it's kind of a good prediction. You're going to make a lot of money, um, so so that's all good. Um, probably, as you say, the other example is 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 kind of building understanding. Um, so I suppose a, a kind of a, kind of a real world example of that would maybe you're kind of building kind of batteries, and you want to kind of build kind of better batteries. You want to kind of understand how your batteries kind of degrade and kind of what how you could kind of build a better battery. And there you'd maybe build your your model of your of your battery and kind of run some simulations or, or help to understand what's going on. And there your model is kind of influencing uh, how you then, I suppose, make a better battery in the future. So it's not necessarily about forecasting, but more about kind of this, this building understanding uh, component. Mm. And how does this apply to energy? What's what's the main application? Is, is, it, is it both? Yeah, I think definitely, definitely true. So we use definitely the models at Aurora. We use them for, for kind of both those purposes, both for the kind of forecasting aspect, but also for the, for the building understanding uh, component. And how do you compare the modeling of so so you mentioned the pendulum you 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 obviously have done some way more complex things than a pendulum in your time um, especially at the physical national laboratory how do you compare modeling these kind of complex physical systems to to modeling of uh, of markets or of uh, economic systems in a way yeah good 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 question I, I think 
one thing that I think attracts me, which I actually I like about modeling, is the generality of it. That that there's often kind of the key principles are, are the same. It's about kind of capturing these kind of key relationships in in kind of mathematical form. And I think also understanding the application is 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 very important for for building uh, for building good models. I think that's something I've always uh, believed, and 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 I think has been confirmed more the more and more modeling um, that, that that I do. I think probably where markets differ a bit. I suppose is is where the kind of the human behavior uh, aspect comes in, which is often harder to capture um, so much with with I suppose a nice kind of kind of equations, a lot more I suppose noise in there uh, as well. Hmm. I imagine the statistics is quite useful then to to capture that noise. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. I suppose capture this this kind of different aspects of, of kind of economic systems, which which maybe are not so uh, easy to capture with, with kind of fundamental laws. So yeah, so in terms of what we use, we use both the kind of statistical and the fundamental uh, approaches in our modeling. Mm. So I'll I'll um, dive deeper into our modeling of energy systems, but uh, I think what what compares physical systems to to to, to economic modeling are. Uh, at least from my perspective, one of the key differences is also, uh, in a way, credibility at, outside academia and in, in, in general public. Uh, I think, uh, especially in the aftermath of the financial crisis, um, I think that's been seen like a major blow to credibility of models. Uh, rating agencies obviously uh, famously uh, used complex statistical models and, and, and ended up assigning AAA ratings to what turned out to be effectively uh, junk securities, uh, we had uh, quite a poor track record then of uh, forecasting the pace of coming out of the Great Recession. I suppose, how do you respond to this type of skepticism more broadly? Do you think we have a crisis of trust in models, uh, especially market models? And, uh, and to what extent do you think that applies to, 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 to energy market model? Uh, I suppose in terms of the financial system there, I think it's more kind of a, not necessarily the, the models the, the models themselves, but the kind of a fatal flaw in kind of the model design about, uh, crucial about how kind of the probability of mortgage debt default, uh, that assumption was, was it was, it was uncorrelated. And I think there it, it's kind of, I think definitely important when you're, when you're using models is kind of having the critical evaluation of, of, of kind of the features that, that you're, which you've included. So I think if you're just kind of churning, churning the handle, uh, then I think it can be it can be quite quite dangerous, and I think particularly I think when you have these models which are are just focused on spitting out one number, so these kind of pure focused forecasting models are often more suited to to the short term than they are to to the to the long term, um, and also more 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 generally, I think um, I think models even if they don't predict the future exactly correctly, doesn't mean that they don't have some value in kind of guiding decision-making in, in kind of this building understanding component and also in kind of forecasting possible different different outcomes. So there are mo many models out there, obviously, and uh, I want to talk first about your experience with, with building the models. So there are many models out there, there were many models out there when uh, we started the RORA. Uh, I, I think an interesting question that we often, often get asked is, uh, why did we decide to build our own models? Why not take some of the off-the-shelf solutions that were that were out there? How do you how do you respond to that question? Yeah, I think I suppose the energy transition uh, is obviously a big big opportunity where, where models can play uh, can play a big role. And I suppose uh, our view was I suppose the models that were out there weren't necessarily um, kind of fit fit for purpose. 
I think a lot of uh, models kind of come from the, often from the academic uh, background, which are very much based on kind of looking at a kind of lower system cost where they don't, don't necessarily capture all the nuances of different uh, kind of policies in different different markets, but very much kind of looking at different uh, different probably cost assumptions, running it through the model, and then looking what's the kind of lowest cost system to build uh, and run. And then I suppose from that, I suppose the idea is you you then take that to policymakers uh, and say go design your policy so so this happens. And I think I suppose that's an interesting uh, problem to tackle, but is not necessarily useful um, for for a lot of our clients. Um, and also, I think another kind of aspect on top of it is is the kind of the different integration of different markets becomes is becoming more and more important with with the energy transition. So I think one area uh, where I suppose we we Aurora Tororo kind of made our name was was in terms of capacity market uh, modeling in in the GB market and where we were. I suppose unique in the way that we were considering the the kind of interactions between the wholesale market and the capacity market, and also modelling the capacity market. I suppose in all its glory, so in terms of the the long term contracts aspects uh, as as well. And I suppose we've we we've we obviously very much critically evaluate our own models, and we've tested our models with these kind of more kind of standard model setups, uh, and and we definitely find you get you get very different different outcomes. Mm. So it was very much uh, a decision driven by the circumstances, right? The, the market was changing and hence different models were fit for purpose. Uh, Johnny, I know that you have um, quite some war stories here. So uh, how do you go about building models? How do you, you, you've decided, okay, there's a market opportunity here. Um, the energy market is changing. We can build a model that is better suited to capture that change. Uh, how do you sit down and start building a model? What's, what's, what are the kind of critical steps? Uh, I suppose, yeah, building, building models at Aurora, definitely initially lots of, lots of hard work, high pressure, um, some late nights and a few, a few sleepless ones as well. Um, mm. uh, yeah, so I suppose we kind of had our kind of core, core value proposition there. And I think it is kind of generally uh, kind of building models is often about kind of capturing the, those those key relationships, as I mentioned, and kind of a good having a good understanding of that application. Again, I would like to um, reiterate, um, it is very important. Um, and another thing I think which which sometimes gets gets forgotten, which is very important in terms of the modeling that we do, is kind of the calibration um, process. So I think. Anyone, I suppose, who who has who has maybe built their own models and tried to apply it to energy markets, or even or even purchase third party models, will know a lot of effort goes into the the kind of calibration process. Um, and I think, I suppose, when you have, I suppose, consider a stage where you've kind of coded up your your kind of your model and it kind of works on a, in a simple example, and the stage where it's kind of ready to kind of roll out, there's a lot of work that goes on um, in between there to make sure it is performing uh, as as it should do and as kind of well calibrated um, um, to, to the market. Mm. It's kind of an interesting, uh, I suppose, aspect that is maybe not quite so well understood from external perspective, which is how do you go from these theoretical academic relationships to something that really reflects how the market behaves. And, and, and I suppose calibration is this is this process where a lot of the effort lies, right, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there, I suppose, I think Aurora, we have a, a very good good thing. We have the kind of 
the research research team in, in each market who really understands, I suppose, what's what's going on, and that really helps us to build these, I suppose, the, these these kind of high quality models and and the kind of doing the doing the calibration, uh, which maybe is is not so true if you're just a kind of I suppose a, a postdoc building a model on your own. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, that 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 um, effort that went into. Uh, I think when we talk about these long hours, I think uh, if I remember correctly, all that was precisely spent on the process of calibration. And I, I, it always brings to my mind like this, uh, one of the first books that I was uh, recommended when I joined Aurora was uh, uh, Nate Silver's uh, fantastic book, The Signal and the Noise, where he describes, I suppose, the mistakes of uh, prediction and how to avoid them. And one of the hypotheses that he, he makes uh, is, uh, I think he evokes, um, Isaiah Berlin's uh, a metaphor of hedgehogs and and foxes, where hedgehogs are these one big idea thinkers uh, who who push their idea and who kind of uh, uh, get in a sense fixated about it. And foxes are these more nimble, more uh, adjustable, more able to take into account many different details. Uh, and especially when it comes to forecasting, he very much advocates being a fox rather than being a hedgehog. And I remember that from our perspective, uh, a lot of the calibration process was kind of that uh, being a fox in a way, trying to understand these many different details and many different small subtleties about the market. Uh, and, and I think working closely between the research team and the, and the modeling team to capture them. And I suppose what, what, what was interesting was the tension between that and, and then the, the natural um, this was pressure to come out with the big ideas, right? If you're a research company, you want to say something, say something big, say something strong. And um, there was often this uh, interesting tension between you know, calibrating the model in minute detail and trying to capture all the subtlety and, and it was appreciating that the world is very, very complex and then trying to be a, a hedgehog to the outside world, uh, stating these big, bold ideas supported by the model, but supported by the model that's not less much more complicated than, than the simple message that we often had. Uh, Johnny, uh, I also wanted to ask you, um, so you've built the model, uh, you've, you've had that idea, how do you actually use them? So how do you, so, so on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you use models at, uh, at Aurora? Yeah, I suppose it goes back to the point earlier. I think so. We use them for both kind of the, the forecasting and the building understanding um, aspects. So in terms of the, the forecasting, as, as many people will know, we kind of build kind of Aurora's in-house view of kind of how different um, power markets will evolve, but also very much a, a scenario analysis uh, plays a big role in, in what we do. So that's maybe looking at the impact of a particular um, policy change or, or, or also looking at different kind of input assumption changes. So maybe that's uh, a much more accelerated deployment of EVs or maybe that's a different commodity price kind of what 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 impact um, does, does that have and also I think something that shouldn't be forgotten is is in the building understanding aspect that we use our, our models for in terms of it enables us to do uh, kind of high quality analysis so maybe when you're when you're looking at a kind of a higher gas price price run. Um, maybe naively you, you can just assume that the kind of power price goes up but there's other there are other factors 
that are in play. So you might get an increased deployment of kind of uh, renewables, renewables building. Uh, maybe you also have to consider kind of the impact on, on the kind of revenues of, of, of individual technologies like batteries in the balancing market and the interaction between all the different, different markets. So that's where kind of the models can, can play a big role in kind of uh, building the, the understanding. Johnny, so how do you actually determine the quality of models? Like George Box said, all models are wrong, but some are useful. How do you ensure that the models you build are as useful as they get and perhaps as uh, unwrong as they get? Um, yeah, I think it is, is definitely tricky to assess the quality of, of, of models. A key thing uh, that, that is crucial is, is the input data. Uh, so I think that the classic saying, kind of garbage in, garbage out, it, it definitely definitely holds holds true uh, when looking at um, model results. Also, I think in the energy um, context, kind of uh, I think when you're assessing and kind of communicating model results, it's kind of important to be um, transparent uh, about kind of the assumptions and what aspects you're considering and whatnot. So whether you're considering kind of renewables just at a kind of aggregated uh, country level, or you're considering more detailed sub-regional level, which kind of markets are, are you modeling? Uh, what's your kind of investment horizon? Is you just considering next five years or next 20 years? Also, what's the kind of geographic scope? So, so many different different aspects uh, to, to consider. And I suppose from them, that from that you can kind of critically evaluate in terms of the questions you're trying to answer. Is this is this model um, kind of fit for purpose? Is is it designed in a way um, that that helps you answer that 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 question? Mm. I think that fit for purpose uh, phrase is probably something that uh, has been a bit of a, a motto of yours. If I if I remember, I know that you uh, it's probably the first thing that uh, our new modelers hear when they join the modeling team. I suppose it's also something that the lack of fitness for purpose, as you said, was probably something that has um, undermined, in many cases, that trust in models in some in some of these examples that we that we said previously. I suppose on that note, do you still find in the energy sector, like, do you find sometimes a bit of um, skepticism about models? And more specifically, something I encounter is uh, when I say to, especially some of our clients who are less maybe um, familiar with energy models that we have a team of uh, you know now nearly 30 modelers uh, building code from scratch the the question I sometimes get is uh, well why do you bother like it's, uh, it's 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 gas price it's carbon price and it's renewables penetration and and voila here comes the price is it a simple and presumably it's not because we've we've we have bothered with building that that's uh, large model and a large modeling team. So how how was it worth it? Yeah, I, I think in terms of the, the, the energy transition, that there's lots of change which is going on. And here models can, can play a can play a big role uh, where I think looking looking at the past and saying 2030 is going to look like 2018 with a different gas price is is probably not the right right approach to take. Um, and I think also the fact that there's a huge amount of investment is going on. I think you want to be able to making those decisions with the best information possible uh, and doing it as informed as possible. And, and models are cheap uh, compared to building an offshore wind farm. That's that's for sure. Um, and also mm. the electric, electricity markets are, are, are complex. Um, so I suppose there's there's these different interactions between the markets which are becoming um, more important. Uh, and even if you maybe consider 
uh, that the offshore wind example is it, is not sufficient to assume that that you just capture the base load price anymore. Um, so cannibalization plays a big role. Location also will, will play a big role in terms of correlation be, be, between different uh, renewables um, as well. So there's all these different factors uh, that you need to consider if you want to be making um, good good decisions. Yeah, that's that's certainly something that's uh, I think increasingly on the radar of of investors. That's uh, that old paradigm of gas plus carbon plus the pace of renewables simply is not sufficient. And, and like you said, in a sense, that was the um, the, the the raison d'être for for Aurora, that uh, complexity coming with the energy transition. Uh, okay, so so models help us understand the increasingly complex reality but what are they not useful for yeah i think so models can also can tell you what happens if a particular uh policy uh change is made but not necessarily when it will be made or or, or whether whether it's it's likely to made to be made um i think another i think a key point ab about using models as i kind of mentioned earlier you have to be careful when using them to kind of critically um evaluate what 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 um, the models are, are producing. So I think you're in dangerous territory when, when you start treating them as, as, as a truth machine. And definitely, um, I don't think an acceptable explanation for, for result is that's what the model says. I think it, you think you have to kind of un have a greater understanding uh, of what is going on. So I suppose maybe a very, very simple example is, is, is if you ha have maybe a lower capex for, for kind of onshore wind, uh, maybe you get a kind of a lower capture price. And that's not because that's what the model says. That's because there's kind of increased cannibalization there because you have an increased capacity. Hmm. It would be certainly it would be certainly quite a popular <laughs> and incredibly valuable model if it could tell you what particular policy change to expect and, and when. Uh, maybe one day, Johnny, that's a challenge. <laughs> that's a challenge for, for the next few years. Uh, but what, what I sometimes hear, and um, I think that's kept becoming increasingly relevant, is that uh, from a kind of uh, technical perspective almost, some people worry about suitability of models when it comes to uh, the new reality. So uh, like you said, we already implemented a lot of innovation that allows us to capture that energy transition, but energy transition is speeding up in many, many senses. And, and obviously net zero is our target. This target is uh, uh, coming closer and closer. Uh, and one of the challenges with that is in a net zero world, at least by uh, looking at the current um, technologies that can get us there, a lot of them are zero marginal cost. So in a sense, the question that arises is if we do have a system with, so much wind, so much solar. Um, what sets the price? What prevents the price from collapsing? And are our current models that, despite all that innovation you mentioned, are still uh, following the logic of cost minimization and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the price setting by the marginal plant? Are these models suitable for modeling that new reality that is so full of uh, zero marginal cost power? What do you say to that? I think I think in terms of in terms of decarbonization, I think uh, this is kind of where models models definitely can, can play a big role. And I think the increasing complexity just just lends itself um, to modelings. I think I think maybe in the past it would be fine just to just to consider the the wholesale market. 
but in, in, increasingly in the future, you need to consider uh, maybe capacity ma capacity markets if they're present, or in kind of energy only regions. Also, there's kind of ancillary and kind of balancing markets as well, and possibly requirements for inertia, and that these these kind of all all interact and maybe don't interact in in an obvious way. In terms of wholesale markets, I, I think there's still still a role for them to play in terms of um, incentivizing kind of energy production at the times when when we most need it. But I suppose that the, the price signals could increasingly come more from the the demand side, and I think a, a hot topic uh, definitely throughout throughout 2020 is kind of the the sector coupling and, and hydrogen uh, as well. So electrolyzers can play a road role, but also that there's kind of heat and transport, so so heat pumps possibly, uh, and also EVs in terms of smart charging EVs can play a role in terms of the the, the wholesale market kind of uh, price signals. Hmm. Um, there's one topic that I'm personally um, really interested in, and it's something that uh, has popped up in many conversations we've had with clients. Uh, the mantra of transparency, the lack of black boxes, and that has been another principle, I think, that has been uh, critical to uh, the work you've been doing at Aurora. But at the same time, you have, obviously, the secret sauce. You have uh, you can only be transparent to some degree because you want to keep your, your IP, your intellectual property, uh, that, that, that you've invested so much in. How do you square the circle? How do you find the balance? Yeah, I think in terms of transparency, I think what you need is kind of transparency of, of assumptions and, ex and exactly what the, the, the model is doing. So are plants building on a kind of central plan and lower system cost approach, or is it on an MPV uh, kind of MPV basis and kind of which revenue streams uh, are you considering? Um, and again, I suppose if you're modeling kind of renewables and kind of what level of detail uh, are you considering? In terms of the, the kind of secret source, I think it, it, it's probably that that's within the kind of minute detail of kind of how that's implemented in the, in the model. So I don't think it's not necessary for, for kind of decision makers to have uh, have a run through of every line of our of our source code, but it is necessary to kind of understand um, uh, kind of the assumptions and 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 the, the the methodology behind our behind our models. And in terms, I suppose that that secret source and that that IP is is in some ways what enables us to to continually invest in our models and improve our models, um, and so they can can have more can have more value. Okay, Johnny. So we're approaching the end of our allocated time. One last question. What is the next big thing in modeling that you're excited about? Yeah, I, th I think one thing uh, to say is I think energy and I suppose particularly power is, is a great sector to be working in uh, at the moment. And I think models can, can play a big role in, I suppose, the decarbonization, which, which is obviously a, a, a big hot topic at the moment. In terms of uh, the modeling side, um, I think areas where, where I suppose investment is needed and challenges are, I think, is one is in kind of locational aspects, was as you get a greater uh, renewables deployment, that's become more and more, more important and something we need to model in detail. And also, as I, I kind of touched on earlier, kind of the, the sector coupling uh, aspects. So, so hydrogen has been a big uh, hot topic recently. And I think coupling with, with kind of heat markets, uh, heat is, is, will also be a, be a big role uh, as well. And I think generally, I think it's great to see that models becoming more and more um, commonplace and being used uh, throughout the, the energy sector. Mm. That's certainly something I see increasingly uh, the demand, the, the interest in models from players who didn't traditionally use them is certainly uh, growing 
rapidly from 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 funds to smaller developers it's no longer a domain of big utilities uh which is which is great okay johnny it's been a great pleasure uh thanks very much for your time and and thank you for sharing your insights yeah it's been great to join you Mateus. thank you that was Mateusz Fruanski, head of digital solutions at Aurora, speaking to Jonathan Black, head of modelling at Aurora. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.